Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. I'm your host, Matt Halloran. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help you get there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It is time to find a new perspective on what works why and how to move your business forward. Listen as I interview guests to help you learn from them how to be your own loud. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. LinkedIn messages rarely work with me because usually people who send me messages, they don't research me. They don't have any idea who I am. But somehow this genius that I have on the show today, and it was, I look back at the message. It was a very simple message, got my attention to the point where I immediately wanted him on the show. Now, mind you, there's other reasons for that because he's got eight books. Wait, wait, how many books? Just four today. Four books. I'm sorry. I eight some times. But yeah, I'm going to put some pressure on you. You have four more books to write, brother. But I'm sorry. Eight times CEO award winner, number one social seller with Microsoft. You've had an unbelievable sales career. But we're going to talk today about social selling because Carson, as we were just kind of warming up for the show, our audience still isn't convinced, dude. Why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of your background, and then I want to pick your brain. Yeah, sure. No, Matt, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect and I've been following you for some time. So uh, the feeling is mutual. As far as my background, I've been in sales and leadership for the preponderance of my career. I started with AT&T, worked for some small firms in the interim between there and now Microsoft, where I've been for seven and a half years. I was recently promoted to sales director within the past six months. I lead a team that works in our health and life sciences business. And I think one of the things that I really want to focus on today, Matt, is on paper, I have really very limited IT solution selling background, no healthcare background, but being able to transcend industries and being able to apply some of these principles that have helped me be successful. All right, brother, you open the door. Tell us the principles. There's, you've got to control the controllables, no matter what you're in. I've worked for very small firms. I know it's really easy for people to say, oh, well, you know, he works for Microsoft. That's going to open any door he wants, right? Well, you'd be surprised. It doesn't always. Not everybody wants to talk to Microsoft or AT&T or some of these larger organizations. On the flip side, when you work for a small consulting firm, which is where I cut my teeth on the social selling aspect, um, you don't have that logo to walk in with. So you very much have to get in by your own merits, by your own experiences. Why should they talk to you? What's a story that you can present to them that's going to be compelling, unique, and make yourself stand out amongst the hundreds, if not thousands of others that are trying to do exactly what you're trying to do? So you can control a few things. One of them is the quality, the quality of your messaging. Try to come at it from the pretense of what's going to matter most to them. But And this is going to evolve over time. You know, I started doing social when it was an anomaly. Probably a decade ago, I started doing some element of social selling. My process has evolved a lot over the years, and my fundamentals and my philosophies have as well. I've probably gotten to the point now where I can get about a 40 to 45% acceptance rate of reaching out to a new connection because I make it about them. Second, you can control the quantity. You can control the quantity of the outreach that you do. I think one of the differences that I do amongst others, a lot of people understand the value or get the value of social selling, but they may reach out to three, five, 10 contacts and call it a day. I'll reach out to hundreds. In fact, one of the most prominent deals that I was able to create in my career, 
I reached out to over 500 people in an organization in order to develop relationships with influencers and also the influencers of those influencers. And it took about a year and a half, but we were able to do a very sizable deal between the two organizations, whereas there was really no business between us prior. And then lastly, it's consistency. Uh, you don't go out and you water your garden once and then anticipate that it's going to sprout and, and bear fruit. You've got to water over time. You've got to continue to um, apply the process and the fundamentals um, in order to be successful. So I've applied these three things in uh, my process and my acumen over time. The last thing I would say is that it has also transformed my personal brand, really being able to I'm just a small town kid from the Midwest United States. There's really no reason on earth why I should be known as the number one social seller in all of Microsoft, a global company of 160,000 people. But the only reason that that's transpired is some serendipitous things that have happened along the way. I had written a book about a decade ago, and while I haven't sold enough to retire, it got me noticed for certain things. I had a large social following. So when I started promoting some of these things within Microsoft, they took off and I started becoming noticed for that. I trained others on um, how to uh, optimize your social selling practice. So it's been uh, the gift that has kept on giving for me. I'm a big believer in social. In fact, I think social selling is just selling. It's using all the tools at your disposal to create relationships and nurture them over time. Now, quality, quantity, consistency, right? We talk a lot about that because there's something called pod fade in our world where people will start and then they stop and they're like, well, that didn't work because they didn't really play the long game. You're talking about playing a massive long game here, but I want to talk about quantity and then I'm going inter to interchange here. What is the frequency that you teach that people who want to have a strong social selling presence build relationships with their connections more deeply? What sort of frequency should they or quantity do they need to post out there? That's a great question. And I think it also, though, goes back to the quality messaging, because I, I certainly don't want to profess that people need to be posting just for the sake of posting like, oh, I got to get my post out for the day. Because if you don't have a quality message, no one's going to pay attention. So as long as you've got a quality message that you believe in that is indicative of what you bring to bear, I, I would say you know, anything that you're doing, whether you're using tools like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, doing these things maybe multiple times a week, but really no more excessively than I would think three to five times a week to really make sure that you're staying top of mind. When I started learning social years ago, my coach in social kind of told me, and I was working at a consulting firm at the time, just find ways to stay top of mind. Over time, I've built a mechanism. There's a litany of resources. It's kind of like a stock portfolio, Matt. I, I don't go out and invest in one stock heavily, though if I did, um, I could probably tell you a couple. But <laughs> the element of, of it is I, I need to invest in, in a multifaceted portfolio. So I've got the social posts. I also have constructed newsletters that go out to people on an email list uh, that have opted in, of course. I've got uh, webinars that we put together with some of our business partners and some of the specialists that I get the pleasure of working with. We market these directly to those lists. I take in a, a good swath of industry news so that I can at least be sharing things that are relevant. I see something and I'm like, this is something that jogs the memory from a conversation that we had a week ago or a post that you made or whatever it is. Adding the social into social is really what it's all about. So to, to best answer your question, I think it's going to be indicative of 
wherever that that mechanism kind of takes you. As long as it's a quality message and you're using all of these elements to basically increase your batting average, give yourself a better probability of conversations, that's what it's really all about. I mean, if you're a financial advisor, your goal is to ultimately set up conversations. You're trying to set up conversations and the tools today will let you target by company, by title. So you can go out and find a lot of these types of folks but rather than maybe reaching out to 5, 10, 15, 20 people, reach out to hundreds. It gives yourself a better probability of getting these conversations and then stay top of mind through these passive ways of selling, like posting things that are of interest. I love first degree connecting with people on LinkedIn, using a mechanism, you know, using a personal message, something that I saw within perhaps their profile that resonated, why I would want to connect, why I think I could learn from them go in under the pretense of that and trying to add value and you'll be surprised uh, where it can go. How do you have time for this, man? So the, one of the objections that I get, because we help financial services professionals create that content, that mindful, high quality, personalized, organic content. And, and a lot of them will say, well, gosh, man, I just don't have X amount of time. How much time do you spend? Let's go per week on social media to maintain these relationships. Yeah, that's a good question. It's minimal. First off, if you identify that there's a need, like as in you want more business, then you make the time. And I think it's very important to be intentional with scheduling of the time. So I just have non-negotiable time every week that I've carved out to go out and prospect or social sell or whatever that means. And it could be a litany of things, but I typically will schedule probably no more than an hour each week to just go out and look for look for people that I might want to connect with via LinkedIn, make a, a, a first pass at trying to connect with them and then do follow-ups as they come through. It's it's not, don't look for ways to, because it's easy to you know, be over encumbered by some of these types of things. But I believe Matt strongly that it's, it's really just about having that dedicated non-negotiable time where you're watering your garden per se, where you're, you're hunting, you're also farming, and that's going to be a good complement to your book of business. Think about it. It's the same concept as residuals over time with, with any, or any type of annuity. If you continue to invest in this element, it's going to yield. And I think that's why it's so important to make sure that you've got that non-negotiable time. But I, I use probably no more than an hour a, a week doing some form of prospecting but it's, okay. it's, it's essential. How has this helped you? The book, Salesman on Fire, by the way, we're gonna have links in the show notes for everybody. There's still sales, Carson. What does this do for you in the process of sales from beginning the relationship to closing the business? What has social selling actually done to help you be so damn successful? I can answer that on a day-to-day -day workflow. And I can also answer that on a myself personally and what it's done for me over the years. And I'll, I'll tackle both. The first part, Matt, I think is it has driven more pipeline for my team and I than, I, I mean, pipeline to the point where people take notice and say, how in the world are you driving more pipeline than anyone else? And it's because, first off, we all are cognizant that just because you drive pipeline in a sales role, you're not going to close all those deals. You need what's called pipeline coverage. You need to make sure that if I want to drive 100% of my number, I may need two, 300% of coverage in order to drive that. You can't leave too many intangibles on the table because you're not going to close all those deals. Things happen. We're in a pandemic. Things are getting pushed. There's a lot of things that, that go on from that vantage point. So it's, it's driven more pipeline and opportunities than our wildest dreams. Furthermore, what it also creates, Matt, is it by creating this kind of passive touch point, when a customer hears from me or somebody on my team, they're not always hearing like, 
hey, we need to talk because we need to move the needle on XYZ project. They're hearing, hey, this is something that my organization is doing right now that falls in your industry. Or, hey, here's an opportunity for you to get engaged and do XYZ. Here are some announcements, things of that nature. Here are resources that we can bring to you, value adds that you do nothing for, you pay nothing additional for, those types of things. So it's not, they're not always just hearing from us when we want something from them. It's There's a lot of information share and that's value that you're adding. So you're reputation increases. Those types of things, being able to stay top of mind, bringing people into the fold, building a community around what you're doing with these newsletters, these webinars, these this information and value share, that, that has been exponentially just, it's been exponentially impactful because it has created and nurtured relationships over time that we never would have, have had otherwise. I can point to probably 16 deals through the course of my time at Microsoft alone that would have never happened if I hadn't met somebody on LinkedIn. And these are multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of revenue that have, have resulted as a, as a part of that. Now, the other element too is the personal brand thing. I worked for AT&T. I had a very successful career years ago, but I was a you know sales director led a division and could have called it a day, right? Everything was great. I had I found a place in my career where I had to reinvent myself and I had to do something different. And I think a lot of us find that in our career. Social wasn't even a thing when I worked at AT&T all those years ago. And then LinkedIn came about. Working at, as I mentioned, some small firms and then leading up to Microsoft, it was one of those things where I always tried to bring some of the things that I learned from prior roles into the role that I was in. And so social, I started working at a small consultant firm. I had to meet these C-levels and I had to use something in order to get meetings with them. I started using LinkedIn and I, I remember getting very prominent, like local, even local just CEOs to meet with me. And I, I was kind of shocked, but it was kind of that land grab. I reached out to a lot of people and I took meetings with whomever accepted. And from there, I brought that into Microsoft and it was a way that nobody had ever done like this before. And so for me, it was like, at first I was looked at as the anomaly, like what the heck is this guy doing? But once I had results to back it up, it took on a life of its own. And I started training it, coaching it, being known for it. There was a platform that we had around social engagement a few years back that launched. And because of my social following and some of the posts that I was making via LinkedIn, the mind share, the thought leadership, I started getting like, I was ranked number one on this platform globally. And so between the efforts, creating relationships with customers, training that element of how people can prospect better and build pipeline, and then the social engagement platform. I mean, I was known globally and had people reaching out to me all over the world asking me, how are you doing this? And this and that created relationships. And it, it has led to me being promoted multiple award-winning time, you know, years. So it's helped me in ways that I could have never possibly imagined. But I wear that as I want to continue to give and I want to continue to contribute to the sales ecosystem that's been so good to me. But I mean, from everything from my results to my personal brand, it's made all the difference in the world. So Carson, one of the things that a lot of our listeners hear from us is the importance of having a very specific niche or focus. And you've done something that all of them are terrified of, which is you switched, right? You went from a totally different industry to a totally different industry and had the same level of success. Well, actually in your situation, even greater. How do you help people figure that out? And how do you help them transition to having more of a hyper-focused niche so that they can be more successful and sell to the right people? Man, I've been on a lot of podcasts and that might be the best question I've ever been asked. It's what I would want to do is even simplify it to the point of what, what's your passion? 
What are you hyper-focused? What are you super passionate about? What is your superpower? So if you think about what your, your passions are and what your unique superpower is, you want to find ways that you can be uniquely qualified to your customers and also to the organization that you work for. My best thought would be think about what you're passionate about. And for me, it was sales, it was people, it was relationships, it was working with teams, it was coaching, developing. Those are the things that I really, really loved doing. And then on the flip side, what was my unique superpower? It was creating a community around what I was doing. How am I being inclusive, reaching out to folks, bringing them into the fold, trying to just enhance the the skills of everybody around me. I do everything I can to try to promote my team, put them in positions to win, empower them to win, find ways that they can amplify what they're doing. Because I think inherently, some people think to themselves like, I don't want to, I'm not good at bragging. I'm not good at, you know, self-promotion. It it isn't about bragging and self-promotion. It's about making sure that the recipient or the audience of your message understands how valuable you can be to them. And that's it. And if I go out and I'm customer obsessed and I am the evangelist of customers within my organization and I bring like, there's money, there's funding, there's resources. It's my job to make sure I get as much of that as possible for the people that I support. And then on the flip side of that, My job to my organization is to be the guy that I pledge to be on interview day, but to use every single resource at my disposal to be successful. That's it. And I think if you think about those things, what you're passionate about and what your unique superpower is, you can go anywhere you want, period. I don't care what industry it is. I don't care what organization is. You can do anything. But let's talk rubber meets the road here. How much time do you think that you have to put in to get that level of traction when you're making that lateral move? There's an old saying, obviously, that's very wise. Hindsight is 2020. And I think for me, I always believed that I was investing in something that would pan out. It just, it panned out beyond my wildest dreams. So for me, it was, you know, I, when I was at at and I just wanted to be the best seller or the best sales manager that I could be. In the intervening years, it was, you know, I, I wrote a book and I wanted to try to see where that could go, how influence. And I worked for some small organizations. I just wanted to have an impact and add value. And then when I worked at Microsoft, I was brought in because of a relationship that I had had previously. And it was a situation where they saw me as uniquely qualified because they knew how I would approach the job. It was a brand new role that had been created. So I think what it what really the best answer to your question, Matt, It's going to be different for each person and scenario because it looks different. But I believe strongly that if you're investing in your passions and the way that you're going to your unique superpower, you're figuring out ways to leverage that and you're focusing big on relationships and resources. Those are the key elements. Like I'm a big believer in people and process. If you've got the right people with the right mindset, following the right process that evolves over time based on the playing field and the parameters and variables at play, you're going to be successful, period. I play the odds. I, you know, I'm a big uh, believer in trying to understand the probability, but enhance my probability any way that I can. So that answer could be completely different for me personally. It's always been just investing in what I believe to be the right process, whether at the time my job was as an individual contributor, going out and prospecting, trying to create relationships. I could show you a very tangible path of 
Matt, I reached out to 100 people today and 40 of them accepted my first degree connection request. I messaged back those 40 after three days, so I didn't seem too opportunistic. And I got a meeting with 10 of them. And this is the message I used. And it maybe one day I reach out and nobody responds. So I need to change my messaging a little bit. I, I could tell you that it's been a learning experience every day over the last 10 years, but it's something that you can put into practice overnight. If I were you, I'd make a list of five to 10 people, whether it's in your organization, whether it's clients that you want to meet, make a list of five to 10 relationships that your life would benefit from right now. Go get them. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and then I'm going to go to the hit list. So so the idea here is that you hunt and farm at the same time. And in our industry, I don't think a lot of people realize that you can actually do both. So I just wanted to clarify that for our audience to have them understand that you should be consistently farming these relationships, because at some point when they are ready, people want to buy from you. They don't want to be sold, right? That's a big thing that we believe here at Proudmouth. But you talked about the hit list. And this is something that, so many, many years ago when I was in a, co a coaching and consulting company, we used to have our people to make, it was called the Hot 100, right? So these were like the ideal people. If you could land these as your clients, you'd be the greatest financial advisor and you'd have the greatest business ever. And we used to get a lot of resistance to it, Carson. They were like, I'm not just going to do that. And I remember when I made my first, my first hot list, my Hot 100, and I landed some of those people and I wouldn't have landed them if I didn't have the focus. So you, I'm assuming you do something like that. So you have laser focus on a, a, a niche, a niche or niche of people who you want to build relationships with because they can be potential people that you can add value to their relationship in their life long term. How many do you write down? How quickly do you take them off? And finally, what do you do to celebrate when you land one of these people? Yeah, wow, that's a great, great series of questions there. And I think, first off, I love the hit list philosophy because you have to have some direction. You've got to you know, really hone in on what am I trying to do? What am I trying to create? And there's a litany of ways that, that I've done that throughout my career, whether it was these are top vendors or partners that are selling our services into a certain ecosystem. Great. I want to meet them all. These are customers that we deem have a high propensity to buy based on marketing interaction or whatever it is. Awesome. Give me that entire list. I want to go after every single one of them. In my mind, it's a probability game. So I'm fully cognizant that if I reach out to 100 people, I may only get a few meetings. But I loved your question about celebrating. If I get one meeting out of reaching out to 100 people, that's a success. It's a meeting I didn't have before. And I got to tell you, the biggest deal that I've done in my entire career, it all started on LinkedIn. I met someone, the president of this organization, day two in a role that I started years ago. And I was in his office the following week. Now, it's that's one element is getting that meeting. But what I did is brought him a copy of my CEO's book, which is sitting right back there on my bookshelf and highlighted some passages, talked through why I believe that that was going to be super imperative to his business. And we, we just started talking and they had been thinking about doing something similar to what I had outlined, just not with us. But the reason that it ultimately ended up being with us was because we were able to show value in multiple areas that mattered to them and then bring a lot of other folks into bear. So look, I, I firmly believe that you get a meeting that you wouldn't have had otherwise, that's a win. And you've got to look at it as such. And then everything else is just learning. Like wins come and go. Wins pass. They're gone. They're in the past. What's current is what's the learning that I took from 
everything that happened before. Okay, so I went out and sent, you know, 100 invites to somebody and nobody replied. Does that mean that my process is is completely broken? No, it might it just means I need a small tweak to enhance my process and do something a little differently, a little bit better next time. I, I love your question because the hit lists are great and there's no such thing as too many prospects. Like I'd find a way to go after all of them, try to create relationships and synergies, and then to your point, farm nurture that over time. In financial advisor, like I've had a financial advisor for most of my adult life, and I'm so thankful for that. Like we don't speak every week, even every month. Sometimes we speak maybe once a year. But when that happens, guess what? There is a newsletter that I get from this gentleman all the time. I open it every time because there's always so much value add in there. He stays top of mind in great ways. And he checks in, asks about my family, my kids, you know, just Things like that that keep the relationship where you become a trusted advisor instead of just somebody trying to sell something. That's what it's all about. Now, I like to prepare somewhat for for the show, but my favorite question to ask is, what should I have asked you? Oh, man. That's tough because, Matt, that would like try that would like expose that you missed something. And I don't think you did. No, I, I, you know what, we kind of hit on this earlier a little bit and it's like, okay, if somebody's hearing all of this for the first time, or if they maybe had a misnomer about social selling or didn't think that it was something that would be advantageous for them, whatever it is, what, what could they, should they do differently? It would be probably the only question and next logical question that I would even think of. And my answer to that would really be, it, we hit on this a little bit earlier, Think about those relationships that you would benefit from that maybe you're not going after today. Start thinking about your business in a new way. You know, what types of clients historically have engaged and why? Was there a commonality? And I'm sure you think about a lot of these types of things as a financial advisor, but thinking about people that went to your alma mater, played a similar sport, might have similar keywords about them on LinkedIn, might be in similar groups that you would like to join on LinkedIn. Finding these people with that commonality, because here's the thing, the best case scenario, right, is that they turn into a lifelong client. The worst case scenario, if you do it right, is they might turn into a contact or a friend, or they may refer you to something in the future. Like these are the intangibles that we don't think about. They're like the hustle stats and a box score for sports. They're the things that maybe you don't see, but the more relationships you're able to create, maybe somebody sees value in this. I was in a conversation about a month ago where we were talking and this guy actually said to me like, man, I really need a financial advisor. Guess what? I introduced him to mine. These are the things that you can't see, these unseen forces. So you can never create too many valuable relationships that might beget referrals that you don't see or residuals over time or turn into lifelong clients. So go out and focus on relationships you think that you would benefit from and that would benefit from you because it's got to be a two-way street. Try to make deposits of value everywhere you can. But think about those relationships that you'd benefit from today and go get them. Now, I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you, man. What is the best way for them to reach out to you? We're going to make sure that we have links to all of your books in the show notes. But if somebody wants to engage you in any way, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, and and please do. And I really, truly mean that. I love meeting people and just learning from them. That's been the most the biggest blessing of anything that I've ever done in my entire career has been meeting with people. So please reach out on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Twitter, my handle is CVHeady007. So C is in Carson, V is in Vincent, my middle name, and then last name 007, big James Bond fan. (laughs) Finally have a new movie coming out soon. Yeah. 
Either one of those would be great, and I look forward to connecting. All right. Well, for all of the James Bond fans out there, Carson and all of us here at Proudmouth, make sure that you take a moment to like, share, and comment on this. Give us a quick review. All of you are listening to this. Know somebody needs to listen to this. So just click that share button, share it with the other financial advisor friends, and make sure that they can understand the true power of social selling. So this is Matt Haller, and I'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how you can be your own loud, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend our educational webinars, and sign up for our new Influence Accelerator Academy, where you too can learn how to truly be an influencer in your space. Have a wonderful day. Um, 